You're listening to The RC, your guide to digital cinema, filmmaking, and cutting-edge imaging. Hi, welcome to this week's RC podcast covering digital cinematography. This week we're going to be talking about, ooh, one-man crews, what one in giant crew can do in one day, and a bunch of other stuff here at the RC podcast where we see our role is to mine the news, filter the blogs, test the gear, and have occasional interesting sojourns into rat holes. Joining me, as always, Mr. Jason Wingrove, though. Jason is on the line coming in via satellite. How are you, Jace? Hello, very good. And, uh, yes, we see our job as delaying the podcast. As much as possible. Uh, well, we have been very, very, very busy, plus it's been summer holidays yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Um, yes. And it's been kind of quiet on the... Uh, so this we've sort of... We've pulled the finger out of the information dike. It's been building up very, very slowly, but there hasn't been an awful lot of news. But I'm sure we'll find something to crap on about. Anyway, this is a conversation that we have. We want you to be a part of it. So uh, let's get started. And Jace, I was going to start this week, if we can by something that you brought to my attention. I saw it in passing, but I, what I hadn't seen is the making of, which is this incredible um, iPhone spectacular done by Apple to mark the uh, anniversary of uh, 30 years of Apple. Do you want to give some background on that? Yeah, I guess it's 30 years of the Mac, yeah. and it's um, 1.24.14. So it's basically uh, around the world, all shot in one day on, I guess, what is the 30th anniversary date of uh, the Mac launch. And 15 camera crews, 10 countries, one very long day. I think it actually lasted longer than 24 hours, but there you go. Sure, um, absolutely. Well, if you're going to follow the sun, it, you know, it's, it's 24 hours if you stay put. But, uh, yes, yeah, a lot longer if you sit in the uh, war room, the rather wankily designed, war, overly designed war room and um, uh, control the, uh, the, world's, the world's directors by remote control. Yes, Though the uh, yes. director that was sitting in the war room seemed to be a rather uh, well-known director. Well, there's a couple in there, but uh, Ridley was in there, of course, having um, uh, been the original director of uh, 1984, mm-hmm. back in 1984, and uh, Jake Scott, his son, uh, was there, obviously calling the shots this time. And Lee Clow, who was also in the room, uh, who was the original uh, art director or original um, part of the creative team, for the 1984, and is an absolute god of uh, all things advertising. And this was a, a, a... Interestingly, I had no idea what I was watching, and I just watched it. was a very beautiful, very beautifully done, just simple simple piece, like Day in the Life of. And uh, until it comes to the end, and it's revealed that it's all shot on the iPhone, which immediately made me want to go and get a 5S. My phone immediately sucks. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I've got to say, I was exactly the same as you. When I first saw it, I sort of watched it, and I thought, you know, another nice Apple ad. Mm. Um, it wasn't apparent to me that it was being shot on a phone. When I went back to watch it the second time now, knowing it was on a phone, you know, I saw some auto-irising and some artifacts. Yeah. But the fact that it didn't look completely crap um, yeah. on the first viewing is kind of remarkable. Yeah, I mean, obviously they've used a lot of stabilizing. There's a lot of rigs, a lot of, you know, Fisher dollies, you know, cape, cranes, movies, um you know, handheld rigs, uh, a lot of that, yeah, tripods, full-on full on, full on support gear, which takes away a lot of the shakiness, which can take away a little bit of the iPhone feel. And you know, it probably had a very nice full-on, you know, professional grade by um, a highly skilled professional. Uh, so, you know, to give take away maybe a little bit of the, the sort of crushy black iPhone look. But I, I was I was quite surprised with the look of it. And it, it's proof of the fact that the... Um, 
the emotion was there to begin with and that carried you through and you didn't really care what it was shot on. Uh, damn it. <laughs> and uh, I liked... Uh, it was beautifully done. I, what I loved is the music. I, it, is a, it is astoundingly beautiful, captivating, nuanced track. I've got to find out who shot it. There's a few DOPs I recognise there, here and there. Um, but, uh, yeah, the music, I'm not aware of who did that. It was... Stunning. I think, actually, although they don't make much of it, it looks like it's a proper scored track that they are actually scoring off off a Mac. Yeah, and no, it was, the, it was the, a scored The sound stage, yeah. the sound recording is actually looks like they're f- filming them, them record the track, which is, again, another really nice uh, layer of creativity there. So, yeah, hey, gear doesn't matter. <laughs> Well, it's interesting. Um, well, as long as you've got movies and rigs and, you know, faced full FaceTime equipped uh, war room from 10 countries and uh, Skype and, um, uh, you know, Teradek bolts linking every location together. It's interesting. I mean, basically it just was, you know, there's a lot of FaceTime through to the sets and it wasn't absolutely having hard links from each video split through to the war room, so to speak. But there was a lot of first ADs over people's shoulders who were holding the uh, iPhones up to the back of the camera that they were shooting and giving us a bit of an, giving them a bit of an overview. So, I mean, uh, uh, I'm not sure being so overbearing with the entire production was entirely necessary. I'm sure you could give, you know, instead of doing 10 or 15, you could give it to 30 people and just let them, you know, obviously give them some prerequisites with the fact that you wanted to shoot it very smoothly or give them an over style or give everybody the same sort of mood mood board or give them everyone the same animatic that you wanted or, or a bit of a mood, you know, a steelomatic to be able to say, this is the kind of the feel. Please shoot it with professional support gear. And you would definitely come back with something beautiful that you could then cut together in a million different ways and be very emotionally similar to that. So, I mean, I think it was an interesting, the whole, I will direct everybody via, you know, my uh, omnipresence was a little bit of a marketing spin to be able to get Ridley and Jake and... Yeah, Nick I've got to say though, in the same room, but, sort of but I think they got set. second bite of the cherry, right? Because I think the original video just stands up. And then yep. the fact is that if you go and look at the second link, which we'll put in the show notes, which is the behind-the-scenes one, you get mm. to really kind of appreciate a bunch of stuff that's being done. Um, I should point out that that... But there's not many people are going to really watch that video, really. People that listen the to this, odd, Will. Little, the odd... Yeah. yeah. Anyway. No, trust me. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I think that the... Uh, anyway, it's beautifully done. It's very emotive and, damn it, it's kind of proof that, you know, you don't need a $40,000 a mirror to... Yeah, shoot something beautiful. Which is funny that you should say that because one of the other um, websites that you have uh, in our lineup today was uh, New Camera News. Um, and New Camera News had a story on it about a local photographer who fails to see the irony. Basically, it's that classic case of a photographer in a park taking a photo and uh, someone saying, wow, nice camera, must take really good pictures. <laughs> And uh, them getting kind of cranky about the fact that, well, isn't the camera that takes the picture? In the same way that you don't sort of listen to a great, you know, record or, or whatever and say, oh, my God, you must have a really good guitar. You must have a really good drum kit, um, you know. Yes, exactly. Oh, my God, he um, saved your life and did quadruple bypass surgery. You must have a really good knife. You know, probably does have a really yeah, good knife. I use, the, I use the oven analogy, like if someone, cook, you know beautiful dinner you say fantastic what oven are you using you know it's not it's the same deal i included the newcameranews.com link because it's pretty much it's just 
it's the onion it's sort of a slightly geeky camera based onion basically it's it's all spoof stories so whatever you read there was kind of a mildly tongue-in-cheek um uh, spoof story it's so. funny that it's got uh to the point that you can have a comical uh photography site i mean uh it's uh you know it's sort of instead of pop eating itself it's the web eating itself right yeah, yeah, and the fact there, there there is a market for it, which is kind of weird. Anyway, that's so that that's my blog re- blog recommendation for the day. We'll put that at the very beginning of the show. Newcameranews.com. Yes, I did like the ten predictions that'll blow your mind, which included bloggers will write ten thousand stories about the death of the uh, DSLR, and DSLR fans will complain. Yes, indeed they will. But of course, number nine was bloggers will write ten thousand stories about the death of mirrorless cameras, and mirrorless camera fans will complain, and so it goes. Um, yes, there's a lot of humour to be had in the bullshit that we read and write, for sure. Yeah. So, um, uh, leaving aside the comic nature for a second, um, that Apple camera uh, that we were referring to, like the iPhone camera, um, or 5S camera, I should say. Um, mm. So, it's a new five-element five thing. It's an F2.2, mm. um, mm. and it just has a bigger sensor. Uh, now, obviously, can actually slightly get things out of out of focus as the very first shot. I think of the spot reveals the shot of the butterfly. I think is you actually have drop off. It's quite wild, and 120 frames a second burst. And I think you can do ramping uh, in you know the little iMovie on board or so, and you can choose your ramp points. And that's all a bit wanky, but I've, the, the 120 frames footage I've seen is quite quite impressive actually. Yeah, so, yeah. You know, for the camera that you have with you all the time, might as well have something. You know, might as well have something. The well, the one that did trick me, well, not trick me. The one that tripped me um, that I didn't see it the first time round was the rolling shutter artifacts on the rock concert part of that video. Um, ah, okay, with flashes. Or yeah, and you get like the half a screen um, mm. white. Oh well, um, you'll get that with a fifty thousand dollar epic as well. <laughs> so. Well, you get a little bit more with an iPhone. But, yeah, no, it is um, amazing how far the uh, phone tech has come. And, of course, yeah. why the point-and-shoot market completely collapsed. Um, you know, it really just is no point in having a point-and-shoot anymore. What yep. are you shooting on at the moment? Uh, well, the 5D Mark III's, must say, spending... I've, I've got the 5D Mark III spending a bit of time in the... Uh, draw at the moment. Really? Um, if I'm going to go and do sort of run, you know, muck around or shoot something, whatever, for myself or do a recce or whatever, I'll take the, uh, of the Sony um, A7R, which is beautiful little compact uh, full-frame camera. Love it to death. Uh, lots of little um, options for lens mounts. I've got a Canon to Sony uh, adapter. So I can have, you know, can put all my Canon glass on there, and I've got um, a very, very small, very thin um, um, Leica M to Sony adapter, and I've got a couple of uh, nice, nice old Voigtland, or not old, but Voigtland, they feel old Voigtlander um, Leica, Leica lenses, really small, very light, very compact, little forty mil, forty one point four, the little forty one point four on the Sony A seven R or the A seven. Just, just a beautiful little, little sort of pocket shooting combo, and you and you get you know beautiful full frame look. Shutter's a little bit loud, but it's, it does nice. It, the video is quite nice. There's a actually I should put a link in the show notes to a little, little very little first little test video I did. The usual, stuck in a rut, go down a sea pool and film something at dawn for an hour that I did, and 
I'll, I'll I'll put that in the show notes. I must remember. But yeah, it's nice. It's 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 not doesn't have. It doesn't have uh, the sort of really meaty. It doesn't have a really good strong codex gel. I think the 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 whole ABC HD. Um, that's that codec that Sony hangs on to. I think is just. It's 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 some cameras they make do okay with it. The AF the FS seven hundred can do quite nice imagery with it, but others just really struggle. It's it's a bit of a a bit of a um, I think it's the real um, Achilles heel of these cameras is that uh, for video at least stills are, are I think are wonderful, but for the AVC HD codec needs to die needs to die. Kill it with fire. Let's move on. Um, XAVC. The newer, higher res formats that they're starting to push, the XAVC and XAVCS that they use in the F55s, and I think, and the smaller 4K cameras. Um, I'm sure they could have a 1080. I'm sure the 1080, 1080 flavor of that, and that's a much uh, more robust and still quite small um, codec. And I think a lot of these cameras are not just being used by punters, and and it's a really, you know, the uh, the AVC HD is just a really horrible. It's just a really nasty little horrid PC kind of a codec, you know. You need all these weird or awful drivers, and and just it, you just feel like just feel dirty using it. I do anyway. <laughs> I just I hate it. It's just really it's not it's not a very easy codec to play. It's not very you know maybe in the PC world it is a little bit, but I just find it quite quite clunky to work with, and it just nothing plays it very smoothly, and it's not easy to preview, and you've got to download a ton of sort of you know plugins and and um codecs to, to to run the thing it's just not you know it's just not a, an, an easy fit you know when you get there it's fine but it uh yeah and, and the, i think the imagery is, is nice but it just falls down a little bit it's quite a it's a very um um economical codec it's very it's only 28 i think at the actual theoretical theoretical limit of that codec as it runs tops out at 28 megabits a second it, it physically doesn't they don't let you record any any higher than that so it just it's always just going to struggle a little bit you know with fine detail and i think that's obviously why they've had to drop it for 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 higher res for 4k because you know it just doesn't hold up on 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 high it wouldn't never hold up on higher resolutions you just need you need more you need a bigger pipe so apart from that i think the camera's beautiful it's 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 a nice more it's a nice run and gun little small compact version of 5d it would happily cut in with 5d sort of footage but uh, that's probably about it sorry that was a long answer to a what are you shooting with no no, no. i mean i'm still shooting with the uh, 5d mark three and uh, i like it a lot i mean uh, your sony's about three grand and i've got to say if i was spending three grand on lenses right now i would be well if i was spending three grand on cameras i wouldn't buy a new camera back I'd buy probably a uh, dog shit lens because I've really been fancying, fancying getting one of those for a while. Yeah. Um, and I'd get one of the one-man crew um, robotic sliders from Red Rock. Like that would set me back, what, 1400 That's like 1400 left over and I'd probably spend that mm-hmm. on lenses. And uh, I think that would make more of a difference to me right now than changing my camera back. I don't think... I don't think it would change yeah. anything about my cinematography or photography to change my camera back right now. I do agree your thing is smaller and better and, you know, I'm not saying it's not. It's just, you know, it's like the incremental, like how much better? Is it $3,000 better? No, not for mm. me. 
Um, if I had one dropped in my lap, I'd, that would be great. But um, if I yeah. had to spend my own money right now, I'd probably – because I fancy, like, you would not believe one of those uh, one-man crew motorized parabolic sliders from Red Rock. Oh, my God. Well, you are lo- well, you are doing a lot of work like that, I guess. Not, say, one-man crew, but two-man crew. And uh, you're often wanting to do interviews, two-camera interviews with basically one camera person, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it's just, like, so yeah. exactly what I want. And so, yeah, I mean, I, we saw it a bit at NAB. And to be honest, I kind of glossed over it a little bit. And I think later on when I checked out what it was about now, I thought, oh, that is quite clever. And it is quite light and, and stuff. It seems like... But it is my understanding. It's a uh, basically a a slider that you can basically set and forget, and it will just literally rock and roll backwards and forwards, and will do. Um, it will change its pivot points, so it will literally. If you set it on a person and just basically hit roll, you can have a second camera on an interview, just basically rock and rolling backwards and forwards, and um, and keeping vaguely centered. Yeah. So it, it is. It is actually um, a slider on an arc. And so yeah. if you think of the arc as a slice of pizza and it's going around the outside of the edge of it, obviously it, it's from either end of the arc, it's pointing at the same point. So if you aim it at somebody, um, yes, it's going to turn around them, but they're always going to stay at the same point in frame. They'll say at the middle. Now, to find that center point uh, from the edge of the pizza slice to the center, as it were, uh, it has two little lasers. And so if you're in front of it or behind it, those two dots don't line up. Once you're at the middle of that arc, those two... Um, points kind of line up on your I guess right. on your jacket if both retinas are burned through then you know that the, the subject is at the right distance yeah. and you're good to go and then there's several things you can do with it you can have it just um, basically seesaw back and forward slowly doing stuff but uh, interestingly it has a couple of other speed options it's 36 inches long I think um, one of them is uh, a time lapse option now I'm sure you'd agree with me that um, most people do incredibly bad time lapse but anyway um, in the sense that they're really good, but they just get boring. But that being yep. said, if you had this anyway for doing interviews and you could do, I think it's like eight hours to do one whole length of the track, that's wow. awesome, right? You'd get a nice little slow move. And we're talking about $1,500. And quite frankly, you would spend a yeah. fortune for getting kind of a yeah. dedicated uh, rig for doing that. Now, does it have loads of controls and variations? Not really. But I guess that's what I want. I want something that if I wanted to do a time lapse at night, I could do something really cool. If I wanted to do an interview, I just had it mm. going slowly. And the fact that it just rocks forward and backwards makes it the perfect B camera. Cut over to have that as a sort of a side shot and then cut back to the main camera. It's one of those things it's that quiet. looks... It, yep, it looks heavy. I'm sure it isn't. No. Um, I'm, trying to work, I'm trying to find out how much it... Ways because it's man, it does look sort of bulky, but seriously, what it's I guess it's just designed to be. Oh, I can tell you how much it weighs. I've looked that up before. It was uh, it was in pounds though. That was the trouble. I was trying to work out what it was in um, Mm. in non pounds. Tech specs. Uh, fourteen pounds. What is that in seven ish, six ish, seven ish kilos? Yeah. Yeah, the, okay. the thing is, though, it's pretty contained. Um, there's mm, a D-tap yeah. option for it now, so you can plug it in uh, or you can... And it's kind of like a one-button push at the end, like you've got manual mode or auto mode kind of thing, and you can yeah. set limits, like it doesn't have to be the full length of the track that it goes. But at some point, you're going to trade off uh, lack of full variability for just, hey, this thing works, and you press the button, and you don't have to spend half an hour setting it up. And I, I like that. I like that a lot. I just mount it on a tripod... A couple of button presses, get it going, don't waste my time, don't carry on for half an hour. 
And uh, as long as that bullseye kind of lines up with the two laser points. I've not used it. It sounds like I have, but I've been lusting after it for a while. The trouble is, so every time I go to buy if you had it... One of these, you'd, if you had one of these, you'd... Uh... You just you take it to every interview, I guess. Yeah, I don't see why not. I mean, you just set it on yeah. a tripod as your B camera. Mm, mm. Um, the thing is, uh, every time I've gone to buy one, you know, every time I sort of felt like I was had enough money burning in my pocket that I desperately needed to um, have another piece of kit, it's been on back order. Uh, yeah. So clearly, I'm not the only one that's um, yeah. that's thinking it's great, and it's back order everywhere from B and H to you know Sammy's to local distributors in australia so yeah i reckon red rock micro you know hats off to them it's a hell of a thing anyway that's what i would buy um rather than a camera back part of that same thing that i don't know that i'd really i would see more difference cinematography uh, in terms of storytelling with a cinematography device that moved my camera than replacing the camera itself right now because mm. i've yeah. got a good mark three yeah it's true well, as we've proven the camera you know, you can do a lot with just a nice, subtle music, a movement and a beautiful music track. Nice, subtle movement does get you a lot, yeah. Yeah. I think um, there's definitely, uh, I'm trying to think of the Australian reseller. A lot of the time, particularly with their focus, their remote focus, I had trouble finding it anywhere around the world. And it was actually right in stock, sitting here at uh, KL. KL in, uh, well, I guess in Sydney, I'm sure they got it in Melbourne. But their distributor here, for some reason, seems to like stock up like no one's business and uh, stuff that I've found, maybe the case with this, but stuff I've found to be like absolutely as hen's teeth around the world has been sitting here on the shelf waiting to be purchased. So, so what are we talking about? What's K-L-1? K-L, K-A-Y-E-L-L. Hang on, K-A-Y. They are the Australian Red Rock Micro Distributor. Oh, yeah, no, I checked them. Yeah, no, they're out as oh. well, yeah. Oh, right. right. Yeah, at Artaman, right? Worth a phone call. Yes. Well, I'm just going off their website. Maybe they've got them in stock and they're not telling anyone. But um, So I know you keep sending yours over and getting them modded, but there's quite a lot of variation in what you can get with one of their flare factory kind of things, right? What would you get? I actually got... Um, if you were me, what would you get? Uh, mm, well, I got a, a few uh, non... The, the flare factory 58 is what um, dog shit make as their... Yeah. You know, as their bread and butter lens, but they obviously uh, have done some modding of other uh, existing of uh, contacts glass in the past and Leica glass. But I think what I had recently done was some Olympus, the OM, uh, a lot of Olympus lenses, uh, the Zuiko, like Z U I K O. Um, There's a lot of very cheap, simple, basic um, donor glass, which is uh, very affordable and easy to get. You can get whole kits of these things. And uh, he modded a few of those up for me and. Actually, what he did was he did uh, basically tr- strip the iris out of the lens completely, and put in an oval, uh, an oval iris basically, not using, not losing too much light, but gave it all a very subtle, gives it a very subtle, um, sort of anamorphic esque bokeh, I guess, quite sort of slightly stretchy, out of focus backgrounds, uh, without having to do any of the sort of ratio change stuff of of using an actual anamorphic adapter. So it was an interesting, it's an interesting unusual kind of quirky look that um that there's plenty no doubt plenty of reference on his uh on vimeo if you search for uh dog shit optics or if you go i'm sure if you go to their website there's plenty of um references of, of a lot of the um options on there on his glass but uh yeah the yeah, oval the, the... oval you can choose it with like a two to a two to one or 1.5 times depending on how subtle you want to make it but i had two or three um 
two or three Olympus lenses modded with the two times oval on them. Very interesting, very quirky, and uh, you know, yeah, a bit of a poor man's anamorphic thing, particularly if you don't want to start stretching stuff out and cropping things and creating something other than um, you know going with any weird ratios. So that's interesting. Yeah, the Trump fifty eight is like uh, a thousand pounds, though, right? The the uh, other one is, is yeah, something apparently like that. Nine hundred and I'm looking at it now. Nine hundred and seventy pounds. Okay. But, but if you go back to the fifty-eight, you know the flare factory. Yes. Um, I think you're way down at like. Uh, yeah, it's only a few hundred pounds. Yeah. three hundred pounds or something. Yeah. One hundred and forty yeah. pounds for a EF, which. You know. Yeah. Hello. Yeah, absolutely. I think the uh, you know the um, the Trump is you know is is much bigger design and it's, uh, has a lot of sort of options and interchangeable things and it's it's a more flexible piece of piece of glass. But uh, uh, look, you know, it's the um, flare factory is essentially the same same thing optically. So yeah, a lot of options. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I just um, I don't know. It's it's. I'm watching TV, and the number of ads that have the uh, kind of black level up, um, <laughs> kind of washed out look. I mean, when I first saw yeah. it, I really jumped up and went, "Oh my god!" Like they've completely ruined the transfer, and uh, that's yeah. how unhip I was. And that was but a lot of it's just shooting log, and then just going, getting used to it, and going, "Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. no, I quite like it. I don't like it all crunchy now. Yeah. Just leave it." But uh, yeah, there's it's the uh, whole low con look of those lenses are a very different sort of mindset. It's designed to let, you know, some artifacts in there that you then, when you crush it back up, there's still that character in there. It's not designed to milk it out for um, Milky's sake. It's designed to give you a broader, give you, a, let, let let the gates open, let a bit more sort of quirky, you know, personality come in. And then uh, you sort of crush it up and uh, a lot of that is left left behind rather than just yeah just the boring log look is yeah it's getting very old very quick yeah yes what do you think of the Super Bowl ads oh, I haven't really watched many of them to be honest really? well, I don't think it was even the Apple one even on there I don't know I don't think it was I didn't see the Apple one on there that I was... there was rumours it was going to be but what was odd this time around is that normally what gets me to go and look at uh, at Super Bowl spots is uh, that you know the Twittersphere or Blogosphere will just be full of people saying, "Oh my God, this is a hilarious spot! You really gotta, you really gotta catch it, lol." And um, yeah, I sort of go and go and look at things through hype, and I literally haven't seen much of that this year. Maybe it's a bit of a a, a dud year to you know there hasn't been Volkswagen Darth Vader or any of the interesting CCs work, or uh, there hasn't really been been much this 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 year around, to be honest. But um, I kind of uh, been a little bit busy in the last couple of days so I haven't uh, haven't really caught up plus as I say not many people have really been um, pimping anything fantastic did you see anything that was worth looking at well we've got three of them covered over on FX Guide including the um, Morpheus ad um, where uh, you know it's the, the Matrix um, right take the blue key or take the red key which I should point out that Jeff Huser worked on and uh, I think it was really good and there's been oh, several cool. top 10 lists of okay. great uh, spots um, yes yeah, so yeah no I, I, I did uh, I did quite I like that I'll have to catch up eventually there was yeah 
God, I was going to say, there was one of the ads, and I swore to God as I was watching it, I thought of you and thought, Jason should have filmed this because you'd have done an even better job. It's actually quite good. Had, had exactly that kind of thing that you do so well um, is one of the obviously many things that you do. But, uh, you know, it had like a lot of people that ended up with some sort of portrait-type shots of them, like we mm-hmm. did with you in Vegas. Um, yeah. And uh, it was just – God, I can't remember the ad was, though. Uh, I'm blanking. Sorry. But, um, yeah, no, I thought there was a good uh, a roster of ads. I mean okay. – there is this sort of thing, there's a duality of ads that are either like over the top, incredibly well done, like the Morpheus ad, or it's the we're going to do something live and uh, in real time virtually and just outrageous um, to show what we can do. So it's the sort of, uh, this year there was a Bud Light ad that just kept on going more and more outrageous and sort of in real time during the game, I think. But yeah, it's that trend of either low tech camera look because it's all hidden cameras and yeah. You know, doing it for real. Um, <laughs> well, we don't have any money left. Basically, after we've spent four million dollars on Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, on media. a llama, and um, and <laughs> no, four million dollars to screen it during the Super Bowl. So. Yeah, there was a yeah. Maserati ad that I was kind of curious to see what you thought. Ah, um, uh, yeah, okay, I have sort of seen that uh, being mentioned. Like it might be of interest mm. to you. The Ghibli. Mm. Yeah, okay, I'll catch that one. I thought the car might be of interest to you. Actually. Indeed. Anyway, getting back to the running order, um, one of the things that's coming up next week, I'm going to be heading over to LA and we've got the VES Awards and also the uh, SciTech Oscars. One of the Oscars that's been given out at the SciTechs this year is to film lab, basically, um, staff. So it's people, it's a a general kind of, um, I I don't think, I don't know, maybe they've done this before, I'm not aware of it. It's an award given out on behalf of the industry to all the people that worked in film labs. Because right. uh, pretty much, you know, they're gone, and um, and and I I think it's a pretty interesting thing to do. It's interesting at a number of levels. Firstly, obviously, I totally agree with them that the people that worked in film lads are, um, mm. you know, obviously been pivotal to everything that's uh, gone on in the rest of the industry. And after all, it is the Academy of Arts and Sciences. Um, so yeah, the billions of released prints or released billions of feet of released prints that are done were extraordinary. Um, anyway, that's the Oscar statuette that's been given. I don't know who's going to receive it. So, um, yeah, who receives it? 950,000 people come up. On well, I don't think there are that many lab technicians, but yeah, okay, you know, I well, get the around point. around the world over time, I guess. They're <laughs> all of, from, from back in the 50s. But um, I mention mm. it because all in our running sheet is uh, an article from Variety about Technicolor closing um, the Glendale Film Lab. Yeah, I mean, obviously, this has been an ongoing thing, and we've had that happen here in Sydney and on and off. And it's, I think, it's there's nothing left in New Zealand. And uh, when we start to see um, top level labs closing in, you know, film centres like uh, Technical and Glendale, uh, then it, you know, the writing, obviously, which we knew was on the wall, is 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 um, been bumped up a few more points and uh, is now in in uh, heavy bold. Um, Oh, like it's you know it's it, it's it's only I'm surprised I'm surprised there is still labs you know I'm sure they uh, open them up for a particular director project if someone really wants to uh, put their foot down and direct on on shoot on film and then they'll you know shut them down again I wouldn't be uh, I can't see how to be economical to keep uh, I guess there'll be a couple of labs you know there'll always be well, I was at least in Hollywood there'll always probably always be a film lab in Hollywood but it will just gradually become more and more boutique and uh, until it's just film students and hipsters. Yeah, it's the vinyl of uh, of film. 
and motion pictures. Hey, look, I was going to say, I'm worried about it because I like seeing IMAX in film, like a really big IMAX print. And uh, certainly the, the cinema here in Darling Harbour has a film projector. There are a lot of digital IMAX, which are smaller, that are projecting digitally, but it's not mm. the same experience. A 65 mil or 70 mil, you know, really big kind of, um, especially those films like uh, Dark Knight and others that, you know, shot sequences in them. I mean, just spectacular to watch. Um, uh, most recently, um, uh, I was going to say Mockingjay, but that's the third film, isn't it? It's, um, anyway, The Hunger okay. Games second film. Oh, did okay. the same thing okay. in the stadium. Once they went inside, they shot on IMAX on film, and it was just spectacular to watch. It's an experience that I didn't want to see him go away. I, I'm okay with watching digital projection, and um, uh, I think it's great. In fact, you were talking to me before about um, the Home Theatre Geeks show. Over oh, yeah, yeah, Twitter. yeah. This is a really good – I mean, I don't – it's an interesting – I've mentioned it before. Uh, it's, an, it's an okay uh, podcast from, from Twit. Um, Home theatre geeks, and uh, it's often quite a little bit dry sometimes and very in-depth, in but it is uh, a very technical podcast. But they had an interesting episode a while back, maybe a month or so ago. So if you're looking for episode 187, it's called The Projectionist Perspective. And it's a really interesting chat with a guy who runs uh, the projections, is basically the lead projectionist uh, still there at um, at Man's Theatre in, in, um, in Hollywood. And just an interesting... He talks through what the setup is there, film the out the um, you know the death of film essentially their progression, what they've got installed, Dolby Atmos, what 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 they do and don't have, and the breakdown of two Ks and four Ks, and so it's an interesting, it's a really good sort of snapshot, uh, current snapshot of um, you know a very popular top level um, uh, cinema chain. So it was, and he's a really well spoken guy, and it's it's very very listenable. So. I thought that was really, I flagged that for mention because I think that was uh, a really good uh, heads up on where on where things are. And I think, I think, I can't remember which the name of the studio, I can't remember which studio, but uh, one of the studios recently, I think literally this week, just said that the, that's it, we're, we're not doing any, they, they stopped doing film prints altogether. All there's no, it's only a matter of time, you know, there's no, until there's no more film print whatsoever. But well, yes, his, uh, his point that made me bring this up was that People often say film looks better, um, and he said, well, look, I'm not going to argue with you it does or it doesn't on the first time it's played, but if you go to a cinema that's had the same print running through you know, for the last two weeks, then there's no question that the digital oh. version is going to be vastly better. Yeah. So, yes, it's you know, an argument you can have over first run of the print, but most people don't see the first run of the print. Mm. And that is true. I mean, it is... Uh, you know, it just doesn't degrade. And, yeah, uh, it's more the acquisition is probably where the, the, the key difference would lie. Definitely digital production. But the money was all in the prints, awesome. right? The money was, because, you, you know, you shot so much film, obviously, mm. 10 to, I don't know, 20, 30 to 1 shooting ratio. Well, if you're The Hobbit, 700 to 1 shooting ratio. But um, leaving that out for a second, you know, you're yeah, going to make no, anyway, gazillions was, of prints. Yeah, but it was, it, yeah. In the old days. It, it, yes, absolutely. It was a good. I think he talks about the number of prints struck, and he talks about now how things are delivered and the hard drives and the size of files and things. So it's a, it's a really quite, uh, uh, quite a technical chat from someone who obviously started off in the more analog side of things. So yeah, Home Theatre Geeks episode one eighty seven and links obviously in the show notes. So yeah, worth 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 a listen. He certainly sure. isn't just walking around saying "woe beam," you know, this technology oh, no. is all crap. No, no. He's, he's embracing it. Yeah, so then it's definitely not like I'm about to retire, so I'm going to kick kick 
digital in the face while I, you know, slam the, the door in its face as I walk out. It's, uh, you know, it's a very, it's a very interesting, honest look at both sides. Now, in news from Ari, we got a taste of the pricing and stuff on the um, on the new Ari. Yeah, well, I think well, I think last time we hadn't. Uh, I think since we recorded last, Mike, we had some hands-on with the Amira. Yeah, I don't yeah. think we've recorded since we had a bit of a play with that. Yeah, Correct. I was quite impressed. Yeah, weren't you? Yeah, I mean, uh, the uh, Alexa is good. Obviously, it's um, as the Oscars will will uh, attest. But it's. Uh, um, I think I was maybe expecting a slightly lighter camera, but certainly the design, um, the design of the camera, the ergonomics of the camera, and the one-man bandness of it is very uh, impressive. It's very much been targeted at single, single operator, no assistant. Uh, you're handling all your own menus. You're doing all your own, you know, ch- changes on the fly. And there's a, it sort of highlights that very different way of working between you know a film set and. Uh, more of a doco or um, reality. I can't quite see reality TV shooting on these, but I could certainly see a doco or um, uh, someone sort of being in, in a bit of a foot in both camps with this camera. It's designed to you know put up a lot of presets and a lot of looks and a lot of LUTs and have it all at your fingertips and have, uh, much like a DSLR, I have a lot of preset stuff with literally like rocker switches where you can just flick from daylight to tungsten at a, at a, at a, at a pinch and be able to ch- adjust a lot of things on the fly um, because reality changes, and or you you know or literally because um, you want to be able to do it quickly because you're doing five other things, as opposed to of course Alexa where everything's menu based and it's more designed for a longer longer throw workflow. It's more designed to be uh, have its looks and its um, final um, appearance done created more in post than in camera and. Um, uh, at the time, uh, and it was very good ergonomically. I thought it was beautifully designed. The whole flip-out LCD um, stroke um, EVF design was beautiful, and it was very easy to get on, up on your shoulder and get it comfortable and balanced very quickly. But at that stage, we didn't really know what the hell this thing was going to cost, and we had a lot of conjecture about it. And now, and now we, um, now we kind of know that it's going to go anywhere from what was it thirty. Like about 30, 30k US to about 50k US, depending on um, depending on how we want to break it down. Yeah. The thing you're referring to about the Oscars is the fact that every film that's nominated for Best Picture and in the category of cinematography shot in a version of an ARRI camera. So there were some that were shot um, ARRI cam, but uh, yeah. in terms of digital, they were all shot uh, Alexa, which is... Not just, uh, somebody said to me, I think it was uh, Jason Diamond we were talking about this and he was like uh, commenting on this in terms of Red. Well, of course, it was something that was posted on the Red user group, but it's also a really interesting uh, reflection on Sony and Canon. Uh, Canon, because for over a year or so now, they've been pushing, uh, you know, C500 and stuff and uh, and Mm. other more cinematic things. But certainly Sony has a bunch of cameras that you might have considered for a, a film from an F65 and and on, and none of those yeah. were used either. Um, no. But, I mean, I think it was a little bit of, you know, it was a little bit of uh, selective, um, you know, results gathering that uh, if you looked at other, you know, other categories that would have been certainly, you know, other other manufacturers represented, which happened to be, if you go with best film and best cinematography, that it was ARRI. And look, if you look That's at last not year... a bad and if you put, uh, couple of categories to be No, absolutely, punching. but I'm sure there's lots of other, you know... 
there's lots of other. Sure, there are other films in visual effects that uh, were shot. Yeah, um, absolutely, That's, of course. But uh, I mean, The Hobbit shot uh, because it was in stereo with the epics. Mm. But I, I mean, yeah. I do think that the epics ended up being much stronger in stereo because of their size. But sure. you know, you can't walk away from the fact that that that's a pretty impressive rollout for Aaron. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's the strength of the fact that they've expanded the Alexa range. They've, there is a lot of choices now, including, um, I don't really know how much it's going to cost, but they've added a black and white version only. Now the Alexa XT B&W is now available. It's completely black and white, similar that we've seen before with, with the um, uh, the Epic Monochrome, that it's uh, non, you know, non, non, um, uh, doesn't have any of the, debayering sort of filters or any of that sort of stuff it's a very raw um black and white data only sensor and uh uh obviously much sharper and, and cleaner and crisper and but uh yeah i think it'd be one of those things where if you asked how much it is they've got to go oh you want one? Oh, uh, well we'll have to we'll get back to you well actually there was an ad in the super bowl for um U2, uh, you could download a new U2 song and in addition to getting it for free, I think Bank of America donated a dollar up to an $8 million cap yeah. uh, for every download. And that was shot on the Epic monochrome, which I thought was interesting. Right, okay. Uh, I well, don't know much could... more about it than that, but it looked really yeah. nice. Okay, well, interesting. Maybe it was, um, uh, maybe Fincher did it or I don't know. I'll have to find out. Interesting, very cool. But uh, look, you know, the, the the black and white only stuff. I think it's it's quite fanciful. It's interesting that they would do it. It would be a design. It would just purely be a design. It would be a let's put a couple of these out there and and just put them in inventory or just have them on the shelf. Anybody wants them, and you know, for people want to do that. Where are all the apart from some of the commercials, where are all the black and white films? I'd love to shoot a black and white. Well, there have been project, quite a few. I mean, there's project. been. Um when I say quite a few, there's been more than none. Uh, the artist. Yeah. That. But that was film, wasn't it? Uh, it was shot know. on film. Good point. There was another one, though. Yeah. Um, something else was shot. God, I'm yeah. blanking. Not, not very many. And, uh, yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of pushback from studio if you want to do if you want to do black and white only. But, uh, yeah, I don't think it's something anyone's going to rush out and purchase. But uh, there you go. Now Ari's doing it as well, and I'd say adding to the whole stable of, of Alexa, it's 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 been a very proven um, platform for them. Clearly, I think an an epic black and white or a Ari black and white is much more like a rental special one-off kind of option that mm. someone might go for. Um, yeah, and it will just go. You know, did like you see that thing at the end of last year where Johnny Ives designed a one-off Leica camera? By the way, for yeah. Bono to auction off for the very good cause yeah fancy that yeah no? yeah and the red mac pro like whatever hundred thousand dollars yeah things went for someone was very keen to get a mac pro early so johnny ives does he autograph it no that would ruin it i guess right because then it would have like marks on it <laughs> yeah ruin it i think red is a really good um organization and does amazingly good work and if i had a spare hundred thousand because i was a billionaire I would definitely buy one of their red uh, iMacs and one of their cameras. But I did think it was really interesting that, uh, you know, it's the uh, the cult of uh, being in a position to be able to ask those people to do things in the first place kind of thing. Mm. Pretty easy to make your own red Mac Pro now, though. Of course, I'm sure you just lift the lid, keep computing at home and send it off to your anodizer. And, uh, yeah, I think it was also the fact that you just get the first one. 
Should we talk about Mac Pros, Mike? We should. Indeed. So, um, obviously, pricing and, and everything is out and about. And one of the big struggles I've had, and you yourself as well, Mike, is do I, don't I, what do I buy, do I wait? Oh, I hate this. How dare you? Apple make it so expensive and so amazingly cool. Well, is it, so is it worth it? Cool. I think is the important thing, right? Because you can, yeah, I mean, obviously it's cool, and but, you know, we're not talking about a phone here. This is like a lot of money. Yep. So is it worth it? Would you get any kind of real benefit out of it or uh, or should we not? Well, obviously it comes down to what you're going to do with it. And um, uh, what has been highlighted by a lot of the tests now, the people are getting a lot of Mac, Mac, starting to get Mac Pros in their hands. And the, the, the biggest, one of the biggest tests they've been doing, apart from comparing the variations of the Mac Pro, is putting them up against an iMac. And it's, it's proven uh, quite... Um, strongly that how impressive the mac the uh, and obviously pimped up but a pimped up how impressive and i'm the imac is um the i7 and you go with all the you know the the top line the best graphics card etc it's uh an impressive uh an impressive piece of kit and there's depending on what on what the tasks are it's been um almost neck and neck with with the top end mac pro with an imac but um uh i think it's one of those things. If you're into, if you're in, uh, if you need a Mac Pro, you're probably doing, you're probably making your money out of it, and uh, you're gonna. It's just a tool to trade, and I think you should be um, go big or go home. I think my I need to just uh, realize that uh, if I'm not going to make the most of it now, I will at some stage, uh, particularly if I eventually get. Um, Dragon sensor. I'm going to go from 4K, creating 4K imagery, to 6K imagery. So you've bought one, is that what you're saying? A Mac Pro? No, I haven't ordered it oh. yet. <laughs> Sorry, I thought you were saying that you, you had. No, I think that the problem was, and what sort of stalled me was, I was thinking, ooh, should I? Oh, it's expensive. Oh, my God. And then literally within... Uh, luckily, here in Australia, we were... Uh, most people were sort of up and about when it, uh, it finally came on the store. And I think it took America a little bit by, by surprise because it was overnight that it happened. But here it wasn't. Most people were up and about and uh, literally had an opportunity to click and buy when it was, you know, delivery within a few days. And it was literally only about an hour or so later that it started to say February. And that's when I thought, oh, fuck it, I'm not going to, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, it's now enforced on me that I can't have one you know, in a week. So I'll use this time to really have a think about it. And of course, in the middle, in the middle of that time, it's now March, I think. So, um, I think I will be ordering something, but, uh, um, I'm still struggling exactly as the configuration, but, um, probably go mid to high mid end. And even that now it's going to be like an eight, nine, uh, probably $10,000, decision but uh look if it's not if it's not overkill now it will be underkill you know in a few years or it'll be just spot on in a couple of years time so i mean i'm not going to buy one i everything's going to prog- definitely are- wait for version two i'm sorry yeah I, I get what you're saying but no yeah. i don't think uh for that amount of money i need to have a i mean i want to basically go over to your place be so impressed that i can't begin to believe that i've lived without one and then yep argue about it with my sort of you know conscience yeah. for a while and then go let let somebody bravely go forth and, and show you the way and decide yay or nay which there has been a lot of tests out there and it's been it has been quite impressively shown that you can 
um, you can throw a lot of heavy duty rendering at this thing and it keeps on going. You know, Mac Pro uh, steaming through 2K, ARRI raw stuff and uh, putting blur blur node after blur node after blur node on on in resolve um and pumping out a 1080 and the 4k has been proven to be starting to be a particular bottleneck particularly with with epic footage you still will need um it seems to be you still need for for a good full you know for real time uh um, playback and rendering of um, epic footage and grading and doing anything more than a couple of nodes you're going to need you are still going to need a rec rocket not so much for playback but for exporting and rendering if you're trying to render out uh, under it depends on depends on the level of frustration and and how many clients are standing there tapping their feet behind you i guess that's that's the thing can you afford to waste your own time or uh, are you um wasting other people's and 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 how much is that costing you so it obviously no one can answer that that question for you, but there has been significant uh, differences in performance between iMac and Mac Pro, and most of those comparisons are against top end iMacs anyway, which is even that specking that up, it's quite easy to get into the uh, four nearly five grand mark just by going with a a high end uh, twenty seven inch iMac, and uh, I mean the plus being that it that comes with a free display which the mac pro doesn't there's obviously a lot of uh, other shit you can have to tack on there you're gonna have to have a, a thunderbolt array and um a whole lot of external storage and displays hmm. so it's 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 it, yeah eight or nine or grand or so for the mac pro is not it's not the uh the end of it the, it's not where the spending start uh, finishes <laughs> really <laughs> so yeah i'm 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 watching the blogs, I'm watching um, a lot of uh, results videos and basically what I've been doing in the meantime is thinking, oh, I'll just cock around with graphics cards in my old one and just try and make it better and just try and improve the stodgy old late 09, uh, early 09 Mac Pro that I have and seriously, all I've done is just waste my own money and waste my own time and I've, I've not got it to be in any way improve, improved in, in any way but, uh, over what it was. It Basically, it, it is what it is and it's unless someone comes up with some amazing retro fix for the things, that uh, machine is... Uh, I've wasted enough time on it, and uh, it still f- is functioning. But uh, I need to, I need to move forward. And you know, when late '09 was around, I wasn't doing. I was only just starting to do pushing out um, 1080 stuff, and certainly there was no, um, there was no 4K in my life, uh, as was probably not many other people's either. Yeah. Well, my 4K wasn't even really, wasn't even, wasn't a thing. Yeah. Didn't even, didn't even exist. So um, uh, I don't think I don't think uh, Jim Janard had even put a sensor in a cigar box uh, <laughs> <laughs> by that stage. So yeah, I think I think the world was a different place, and uh, that's where my compu- that my old Mac Pro will stay. I think I don't know really. I don't even really think it's really worth giving to someone to be honest. Considering that, in fact, probably can buy a mid-range iMac and will completely you know will 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 kick it to the curb. Um, quite easily. Well, uh, at that note, maybe we should speak to somebody. Oh, I don't yeah, I want know. To speak to someone who actually knows what they're talking, talking about. 
Jace, who have we got in the red room? Okay, spoke to Al Mooney. Part of my struggle was trying to work out, look, what the, the big thing for people is working out what, where to spend their money if you're going to choose for a Mac Pro. Do you go big in the uh, graphics cards? Do you spend up on RAM? Do you go for more cores and lower and uh, lower processor speed or higher processor speed, less cores? What's there's there's a lot of money to spend there, and, and working out what the balancing act is. Obviously, you can't you can't go past just buy the biggest you can afford but i really wanted to speak to somebody who um uh, could could help me with the decision al mooney is a project product manager for professional video editing adobe systems so basically he is uh, mr premier mr premier pro so i thought i'd um bend his ear and, and have a chat with him about uh, not just uh what he thought was um the uh, best Mac Pro bang for buck, but also where 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 Premiere was at and uh, what we could expect in the future. You're entering the Red Room. It is astounding how quickly it's changed. I mean, I you know I I, I joke about it. I, you've probably heard, I think I think most people listening to these sort of podcasts has heard all my jokes far too many times. But I do say that uh, and you know a new video format is created at least once every twenty seven seconds. And I mean, it's amazing when you think about it. It's you know, it's not that long ago that everybody had tape in their workflow to some degree. Yeah. You know, um, and it just I think I honestly think this is one of the fastest changing industries in the sort of creative area that there is. I think it's amazing, and you know, I think that without wishing to sort of turn this around and start blowing our own trumpet, I think that's why stuff the stuff that we're doing. With cloud in particular, and I know it has its naysayers, but you know the, the, our ability to respond so much more quickly with that as a as a as a business model, it it really does fit such a fast changing industry. You Absolutely. Know? So, so but I can actually, you stop with the updates every day? No, I'm kidding. It's fantastic. Uh, well, it's like I mean, that 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 is that is that is part of the double edged sword of that is you know you want you want responsiveness, you're getting it. <laughs> well, look, I mean, I think we are. Fe- look, I don't like to use the expression feeling our way because that sounds like we didn't have a plan. Uh, we are learning as we go, right? And that, and that, and I think we knew we would. I think any organization who, you know, executes a, such a fundamental change, uh, there's going to be learning on both sides, learning from the customers and learning within the organization. I think it's cool that we put lots of things out, you know, and we, we're more responsive than we ever were before. I know a lot of people would say that maybe last year we did a little bit too many updates. <laughs> and I've got to be honest with you, um, you know, my blood, my uh, blood pressure medication would agree, uh, if you see what I mean. So, you know, I, I think there's, there's a happy medium somewhere. I, 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 I'm not suggesting, uh, you know, things will, will change drastically, but I, but I think you're right. I think we've got to find our, find a rhythm and you know, and 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 stick to it because I agree that it was probably a little too many. I but, think you know, everybody we does agree that like... you are listening, though. I think that is a fantastic thing, and uh, I mean, certainly, there's no in the competition. I don't think there's very very much uh, many many people out there who are in your face, so to speak, as, as you guys are and are listening and keen to uh, let, you know, have an open well, dialogue and a two way street. It seems. Look, I mean, I, it's really nice to hear that, and 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 that is, I you know, I would. I would agree. I, mean, I think that's one of the things that sets us apart. I think, and I think it's one of the things that people like the most about us. I, you know, we, we, we hear it a lot and we seem to do it more than, more than the others. And, and it's a strange one in a, in a way, Jason, because it's like 
sort of seems kind of obvious to me, and I don't want to sound like a dick you know, or like, you know, arrogant or whatever, but if you're making a product for, you know, as previously discussed, if you're making a product for an industry that everybody knows is changing you know, at, a, at an extraordinary rate, it strikes me that the way to make a product that people like is to spend a lot of time with the people who are going to use it yeah. um, and, and really understand the issues. I mean, I, I think there's... Uh, there's a balance and I don't, and I think it's a very challenging balance to get right. And I, I don't think anyone ever probably will, um, between listening and responding, uh, you know, I, I want this button to do this thing at this time. Uh, and, and, and the other, and the other thing, which is, you know, innovating and understanding the problems and solving the problems in a, in, in, in modern and unique ways. Yeah. I don't want to be making a product that is solely created from, feature requests from editors out there because it would, while it would serve a purpose, you know, I obviously what we all want to do is change things and move the needle and all those cheesy corporate expressions. So, so that, that balance is, you know, that's, that's what sort of keeps me awake at, at, at night um, is, is how we get that right. And, you know, I'm always wondering if we, we did too much innovation or not enough in one release to the next, et cetera. But, but fundamentally it's, I, I, you're right. I mean, I think if, if we weren't out there, we are very, very active, we have a very, you know, we have a very, um, I can't think of a, a good word here, uh, a, a very active pre-release, um, which is, which, which is, I think is hugely important. You know, we, we, yeah. we have a lot of people on pre-release and we really, when we're building new features, we, we sort of, we'll kind of target a customer or customers and work with them very, very closely as we build a feature and iterate it to get it right. And I think that's the way you do it. What I don't want to be doing is say, yes, we understand you have these five problems and then come back in a year with the way we think we're going to solve them only to hear, no, that doesn't work or whatever. So oh, I don't do it that way anymore. Was, well, exactly. Well, precisely. So I think the iterative <laughs> you took so long. nature of yeah, what, I mean, yeah, you're sort of even like, oh, I forgot we, forgot we even had that conversation. And it's important to keep checking when you said that, you meant that and so on. So, so we do that a lot. But, uh, but I, um, no, it's nice to hear you say that. I, I, that's, that's something we're quite proud of. Well, we'll try and uh, I'll touch on how people can sort of maybe keep that dialogue or open some sort of dialogue there sure. at, at the end. But um, I think first two things I want to touch on, and you've already proved one of these points on, is that um, I know you're not one for much of it anyway, but we can just say we're now entering the no spin zone. Our audience kind of work in the real world. And I think everyone appreciates answers and information from that same real world because we're so used to being spun and given the company line and I won't, I'm not going to name names, but you, you know, them. and I shoot, with I, one, I, I shoot do. with something that they like. make. And, um, I think that, that, uh, yeah, we're, we're, we want to try and, keep this chat don't worry mate it's not it's not in my dna to do the spin and and when i have to like you know on the rare occasion they make me put on a a a shirt and wear a tie and shiny shoes and be all corporate in front of people that's when i feel the least like myself so um, excellent don't you worry about that if if i can't answer a question i'll tell you but and the other admission is that this is a completely uh, selfish interview because I'm largely picking <laughs> picking your brains for my own benefit here, actually. I uh, that's, that's largely have been, like a lot of my mates, been working out, what the hell do I do with this Mac Pro thing? So okay, sure. let's kick off what, what the main sort of gist of what I was trying to rope you in for here, and you may regret yeah. um, saying yes, but... Uh, I guess <laughs> I'll just pretend. I'll just pretend my internet's gone down or something. I'll yeah, that's right. Yanked Sorry, you're case. breaking up. Skype's playing up. Um, so, um, Premiere Pro is it's grown hugely over the last couple of years, as we said. But yeah. now we have uh, 
we are starting to move out of or move beyond even though things are what the industry wants us to shoot on is very different to what we're actually shooting on but we are starting to have demands on 2k 4k and and 6k origination uh, it's definitely growing and while no one's really finishing in 4k or even necessarily 2k we all still want to be able to get cutting with these larger files and, and we don't want to be really transcoding anymore or getting bogged down while we're doing it so um obviously mac pro is out now and we've got this lovely thanks so much apple um sort of pause for thought uh self uh, um um Apple-imposed pause for thought here while we, there is zero stock to be had um, for us to maybe yeah, have a think about what the hell do I order? So okay. I think, um, I guess I want to get an idea of now and in the future, what, um, I guess, maybe more aiming towards Premiere Pro, but I guess there's obviously a lot of people doing using, using After Effects. Mm-hmm. Um, but how uh, is um, Premiere optimized for the mac pros basically should we be spending our bucks on cores versus gigahertz versus ram uh, sure. the gpus where where what's the best bang for buck really and obviously there's a few answers to this question i'll shut up now yeah it's, it's a big question i mean it's a huge one so, so let me let me take a little bit of a step back you know you you everyone i think already has, has heard us describe what the mercury engine which is the way we brand what happens when you hit the space bar, right? It really is just a marketing term for all the clever stuff that happens, you know, in the, inside the machine. But we built that with CS5, and, and that was when we could see what was happening, right? We could, exactly as you've just described, we could see that people were going to start needing to work on higher resolution, higher frame rates, higher dynamic ranges with more, you know, uh, heftier codecs, um, and they expect everything to work in real time. And that's, you know, we you can't do that with a 32-bit app. So Mercury was designed to leverage all the system resources you can throw at us. The because it's 64-bit, we're going to obviously be able to access all the all the memory you've got. We are the wonderful expression that one of the text the tech, the engineers came up with was uh, massively multi-threaded. So give us cores, you know, and we will use them, uh, and we'll multi-thread across them. And also the third element is of course the and when we did this, this was really sort of cutting edge stuff. It was, it was, we could see what's happening with GPUs. And so the third element is, is optimization for a, a you know, a, a subset of the GPUs that are out there on the market. The, the way to think about it then is Mercury was a very, and sorry if this sounds like spin, but I think I'm allowed to be proud of some of the stuff. It was a pretty forward looking thing. Um, and what's happened is, as you know, as as hardware has evolved, because the Mercury engine was built for the future, as if, if you see what I'm saying, we see better performance on a better machine. When we'll basically lap it, lap it up, whatever you can give us. And if you combine that with the fact that every release we add new, you know, we add improvements to the Mercury engine, you know, we'll op- optimize some more stuff for the GPU or whatever it might be. Um, modern fast machines with lots of stuff in them, like the Mac Pro, and also like you know. <laughs> Uh, you know, we, there's a there's a lot of great uh, non-Mac hardware out there as well, but I know you want to talk specifically about that unit. So, so yes, as much th- as people th- would th- love to, every time I whinge about the Mac Pro, people just say, ah, just go Hackintosh. Sorry, can't go there. Anyway, not going to start that. Oh, I know. I mean, Keep I would going. never recommend that. We, we I've never, I would never recommend any sort of uh, hybrid system. I mean, we do. We we did see quite a few people make a switch over to the to the Windows platform and go down the HP route, but 
I know that's very difficult for people. And I, I certainly, off the record, said the guy on the podcast, uh, I wouldn't want to switch to Windows. I, you know, I've, I've never been hugely comfortable with that OS, so I can understand why people don't. Anyway, look, let's cut this. Let's cut this. Let's move this forward. Um, well, let's go. Let's well, while we're talking about cores, then. So let's. Let, I guess maybe tick the boxes. So you, you. I mean, was that sort of dream of going stepping back to CS five and say I, I'm, I'm going to use an example, my Mac Pro now, which is a late 09, um, shortly to be driven over in the driveway. Do was the dream of using all the cores? Did that actually make reality? I mean, if I've got an eight proc machine, am I if I'm cutting with 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 Premiere Pro now? Am I using all the cores? And in the future, tomorrow or whenever, in February, when a Mac Pro arrives on my front doorstep and I go for a 12-core, am I going to see the benefit of the 12-core versus, say, the 6-core or even the base 4-core? Because, obviously, for every jump in processor, you're going down in gigahertz, so from 3.7 down to 2.7. So there's that balancing act. The answer is it depends what you're doing, but as much as as much as is possible, we will use all of them. And we constantly, continuously try to improve our code to to. I mean, we really do. Every single release, there's a lot of stuff that probably doesn't get sung sung about or you know listed in the marketing documents where there are performance improvements. And I know everyone always sees the word the words in performance improvements with every update and wonders what the hell it means. But you know, there, there's there's a lot that's going on. So, yeah, I mean... Because not a lot of apps make we... much of the cores, you know. There's always the thing, you know, you always sort of see just the first couple being used or, you know, three or four and not seeing all of them being being. Well, look, being for used. sure. And and there are several reasons for that. I mean, some of them are way beyond my level of understanding, of course, as well, so just, just to be clear sure. on that. But, you know, there are some processes that we could only run on a single core. Anytime you bring anything that's QuickTime into the equation... It gets sucky, and you know we know this. We know that QuickTime is a is a God God rest its soul. It it, it did well, but it, it's hobbling along with a with a walking stick, you know, wondering when when it's going to drop dead. Uh, it's a 32-bit process that ain't going to work across multiple cores. There are also sometimes times when I agree. I mean, I, you know, you, you'll look at it and you'll think, why aren't you using all these cores? The the issue I have right now is we don't have, you know, just like you don't have it. We don't have these machines, so I don't want to promise you that we're going to have astounding performance if you go from the 8-core to the 12-core or whatever it is until we have some data, and data is what we're gathering right now. But to broaden the point a little, if the, the, more, the faster the processes and the, you know, the more cores you have, the more stuff you have in your system, the better Premiere Pro will perform. That is, that is the simple truth. We will see once we get our hands on these units and you know we've 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 had obviously as you can imagine we're an important developer so we've had we've had some hands on time with them but uh, not with the, the, the shipping ones so it's hard for me to predict exactly what increase in performance you'll get by going up the up the up the sort of uh, spec levels as it were but i can tell you that you will see some i would also say that really the conversation in my opinion it's it's less about are you going to use you know will do you use all the cores or what or, or both gpus on certain things blah 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 should be really about what do you need it to do right do you if you need it to play extremes of this in real time with you know, blah 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 let's say can the machine do the sort of work that i need it to do instead of are you going to use, you know, all the all the transistors? 
just because it strikes me that that's the best way of phrasing the question, right? Because yeah. then it's, uh, is it serving the purpose that we need it to serve? Um, but it is a little difficult, Jason, because we are, it's, it's early days and very, very, very few people have got the machines. Yeah. It was nice to see Philip Hodgett's blog, you know, which basically showed that our performance is um, comparable to, to, to Final Cuts on, on that machine. That was good. That, was ha- that, made us, that made us feel happy and confident we were doing the right thing. But unfortunately, there isn't a simple truth I can speak right now. It's, you know, this will, this will be something that develops over time. Okay. But I, so do, it, I but, do think... But Premiere Pro at the moment is, it's, if, if, if someone's installing it today, now on a new Mac Pro, they are getting the benefit of whatever um, developer time you have had with the machines. Yeah, no, 100%. Okay. Um, and they're also getting the benefits of the developer time right the way back from years ago when we built this quite future-proofed um, playback engine. Okay, so you haven't had to re, sort of redesign the wheel here for these new machines. The, the steps you, that you made, um, you're actually sort of just continuing with, with similar code. We, haven't, we, don't need, we're not, we don't need a full rewrite I mean, of this stuff to be able to uh, make the most oh of this God, new no, generation no, no. machine. Look, at the, end, at the end of the... Sorry to cut across you. At the end of the day, it's... And I know everyone's really excited about this machine, and don't get me wrong, so am I. And when I saw it, I asked the Apple man if it would be all right if I licked it. Uh, which I'm not sure if he, if he quite thought was funny, but I did. Um, uh, they're awesome. I mean, they're very exciting, but it is still some CPUs and a G, and a couple of GPUs and some RAM, RAM in a box, right? It's, yeah. It is just still just a computer, and it might be in a cool way. So, so no, we have not had to do a fundamental rewrite. I mean, we have a great relationship with some of the technical guys over at Apple, um, and you know, you can imagine that we 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 make absolutely sure that we're going to be performant. It's important for both of us. Okay. Um, but yes, if you install it today, it will scream. And okay. I can say that. Indeed. So then, I mean, obviously you haven't had a lot of hands-on time with the machine. Personally, you don't have one at home, I can imagine, or one on your, on your bedside table, but no, I don't. Not, not the yet. company card is locked, is, is left at the office. You've got Al Mooney's own personal credit card. It's on the table, pressing go on a sale. What do you do cause wise? Are we going to see what, what would you go for? What would Al Mooney do? <laughs> so, no, this is oh well, hang on Mike you're, you're breaking up uh, I don't I don't want to I don't I don't want to answer that question because I have All not right. seen the performance stats I'd be a fool to answer that question here's the basics here's 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 the thing people ask a lot about whether or not you should go for the uh, the more expensive GPUs the answer to that question. Oh, you're I jumping ahead. Our... But go ahead. Keep going. Oh, okay. Do you want me to? Hold... Well, all right. Let me just answer that question. Okay. Yeah, I'm talking. Matt, okay. That... I'm gonna. I'm gonna do it by compartmentalizing a little bit because it is. It's. It's. No it's a few separate, uh, expensive purchase choices. So yes, in terms of cores, you know, if if you buy a 12 core, no one's going to uh, come smack you upside the face. Uh, come NAV next this year when we all realise that you're not making any benefit. I don't think for most projects you need that much power. And that's me turning the question around again. I think we will find that for what most people need to do, the, the more basic spec machines will do just great. If you, if you, it's such a hard thing to talk about without, without it's, it's just yeah. completely ima- you know, imaginary. More, very demanding projects will benefit from the the, the the higher power for sure, but you can do a hell of a lot with Premiere Pro on a on. Dude, I just upgraded to a to a you know the very latest generation top spec Retina, 
with the 750M and I can't believe what I can do on this yeah. machine. It really is amazing. So I, I don't want to say yes. You, if you if a project plays great on the four core, then it's going to play great on the 12, right? So the the delta between the project that falls over on the four core and 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 plays on the 12, that's a that's a gray area. I don't know where we're going to see that. So I don't want to tell you or your friends or your listeners to go and buy the 12 core. And then be angry because they don't see a performance difference. Okay, upshot even is even the basic model is going to be great. Okay, the short answer is the code makes use of it; it's not wasted. So you know it's, that is it's your choice yes. as to it the will be cost it. per benefit uh, scale is your own to decide. Okay, well let's go on to GPUs then because uh, this All is right. a big one because we've talked about how you've uh, we've obviously have this history of optimizing for for CUDA. And everyone at Manly's Dog doing real cards and fake cards and hacked cards and things to get as much bang for buck, uh, <laughs> guilty, um, in bang for buck uh, to to make the most of this the real time stuff for Premiere. And it's been working really well. But now we're in this brave new world of um, uh, of the Fire AMD Fire Pros, completely different sort of. Um, uh, environment i guess for you guys and open cl and all of that sort of stuff so mm-hmm. the next expensive decision is fire pro the d300 d500 d700 again i won't trap you again i will not ask that the the uh, almoni credit card question but um how important are these the, these these three different cards and and how much again are you optimized for for this new world of open cl and moving away from coda CUDA? Um, so with so to, let me take the OpenCL part first. Um, we we are almost at parity with OpenCL and CUDA right now. You can, if you if you really want to, you can find a couple examples where CUDA still beats OCL, but that's because we've got three years engineering time before it, and that's to be expected. When we started building CS6, we uh, we knew that we needed to start porting our CUDA code over to OCL. And actually, the, the square target for that was because of the, the that generation of MacBook Pros, which all had AMD GPUs in. And it's hard to find a, a, a professional video editor that doesn't use the standard 15-inch Mac. They're just rife. Mm-hmm. So it was a shame because we could see our users were, you know, it, 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 you really do see a difference with the GPU, as you know. So we so we started to cut the port to OpenCL for CS6 and delightfully found this is the <laughs> said a guy who's never written a line of code in his life uh, delightfully found that the port was much easier than expected and, and my engineers will no doubt listen to this and and and, and be very embarrassed at my lack of technical but but basically we we found that the our ability to take the CUDA code and port to OpenCL was much easier than we thought and so we got to a stage where with CS6 we had specifically listed support for those for that generation of MacBook Pros whenever that whenever it was. And that's grown and grown and grown. And if you look at our list of supported GPUs on the, you know, on the tech specs page on the Adobe.com, the Premier Pro pages, you'll see that we support a vast array of both OpenCL and CUDA GPUs. We, uh, you said moving away from CUDA, I'll pick on that. We're not. Okay. Um, don't get me wrong. It would be brilliant if there was only one GPU language, right? I mean, it is, it is difficult. It is frustrating. And and it's time consuming and I very off the record, I've got to stop saying that on the record. Yeah, it would be nice if the conversation between the GPU companies 
move to something different because you know they both want to prove that one tech's better than the other and quite frankly it just you know as far as we're concerned it kind of isn't so so really i'd love it if there was only one but we have a huge number of nvidia users and we ain't going to stop put, developing for, for both but the cool thing is because we've you know we've kind of reached a, a position where the code can be used across both things so OpenCL is is thoroughly supported thoroughly optimized and really, 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 really good. Excellent. Um, with regards to the Mac Pro and the G GPUs, obviously you have the, they all have the dual GPUs, and then you go up the, up, you know, you, you can add 200, you can make it 200 better for lots more money. Um, well, it's a the, yeah, it's a I, thousand, it's a thousand dollar difference between the two, pretty much, to go from the 300 to the is. 700, and you go from two gig to three gig to six gig of VRAM, and right. um, I guess. Yeah, the logic would be just close your eyes and click on all the middle ones, and I'm sure you'd be wonderfully happy. But I guess, um, I, I guess, I, I just after the be. real world thoughts on that. Um, so I spoke to there's a guy called Steve Hogue who you may have heard the name of before, who basically wrote the Mercury Playback Engine. Uh, he's an absolute genius, and it's a re really nice guy to be able to work with. Um, and I asked him this very question because obviously it's been, I mean, the noise around the Mac Pro has been, been very loud and I can understand why, of course. The answer he gave me was GPU intensive projects will perform better on the higher end GPUs. But this goes back to what I said previously about the CPUs. I think really the best question to ask about these machines is what do I need to do and will this machine do it? I don't think you'll find many examples of projects and yeah, of, of Premiere Pro projects that won't work on the 300, but will work on the 5 or the 7. I yeah. think you'll be hard pushed to find such a project. And I think if you did find one, you know, and maybe I'll be proven wrong to this in 6 to 12 months when these things are on everyone's, you know, on everyone's desks or in those. Did you see those crazy rack mount things that some company came up with on? Um, yeah. Like, what the hell? That's, well, we should talk about that at the end. It's only um, But sorry, I... Yeah, I know, but wow, what, I didn't expect them to be so damn ugly. Anyway, um, point is, I think if you found a project that that highlighted, you know, that, that performed better on the higher end GPUs, it would probably have been built to show that. So, so I mean, I think the other really important thing to understand is that going back to you know the way that the the engine was designed is that we, I had someone ask me the other day why. When you say optimize for the GPU, does that mean you do everything on the GPU? And I said, no, of course it doesn't. That would be really stupid because what the hell is the point in having all those beautiful cores of very fast, well-built CPU? So the, the, the beauty of the Mercury engine is the balancing of the load between the CPU and the GPU. The, let's say the balancing of the compute tasks, right, between the CPU and the GPU. Um, there's an excellent old but still excellent uh, blog post on the Premiere Pro blog. Uh, it's quite a long way down, but you'll find it if you search, um, by Todd Capriva, which explains what we use the GPU for. Um, and obviously, as you can expect, release after release, that's, that's, that's changed and, 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 and developed. But the, the, you know, the point is, there are some things we do on the GPU and there are some things we do on the CPU, and that balance is the special source. Because if you balance brilliantly across the two things, you get the most performance. So... The simple things that we do on the GPU are any GPU optimized real-time effect. Um, we most releases you'll find that our own internal effects, you know, we'll add a few more to the uh, runs on the GPU list. 
a really important thing we did with the first release of Premiere Pro CC um, was, and you, you briefly alluded to this before, but to be very clear, was we built an SDK for the third party developers such that they could make their um, effects and transitions be what we would call like first class GPU citizens. It's been possible in the past to run your plugins code on the GPU, um, but it wasn't, but it could still not be, as we say, a first class citizen in Premiere Pro. And, you know, to, to put it simplistically, it meant you basically we jump from the CPU into the GPU to run the code and then back to the CPU. We now have an SDK that allows those third party developers to, to, to make their plugins run at just as well as ours do on the GPU. And uh, you'll start seeing, you know, all the, all the, all the usual suspects um, uh, releasing updates of their stuff that, that, that are first class GPU citizens. I can't remember who already has. I know New Blue has a few others. Um, other things we do on the GPU are things like if you do any time remapping, if you media preparation, as we call it, which is the management of um, multiple different formats on the same timeline. Um, we recently added the what we would call direct manipulation, which is when you you know click inside one of the, the the monitors and you move the frame around and you change the size. That's now GPU optimized. So there's a bunch of stuff that runs on the GPU. The thing that we really use the CPU for, the, the most obvious thing is decoding of codecs. Um, so, you know, when you hit play and everything gets in real time, sort of effectively uh, decompressed and, and, a, and an output frame created, that's almost exclusively CPU. Um, the one exception currently being we actually can debayer cinema DNG, uncompressed cinema DNG from the Blackmagic Cinema camera, we can debayer that on the GPU, which gives much better performance. But the, the, you know, to go back, the short answer really is we're always looking at which, which, how can we best balance all the things that need to take place across CPU and GPU for optimum performance. And again, I, yeah, I, I know I've, I've been a bit repetitive on this uh, during this chat, but, but it really the question is not do you use this and this and this and this. The question should be is the system designed to be able to do what people in 21st century video editing land need to do and i'm confident the answer is yes well i know that was a bit of an afterthought but that is that actually that whole section there that is a that is quite huge that is quite an interesting Good. thing because as you said the perception is well these gpus they've got vram and they've got the ram and they're, they're, they're a computer in themselves <laughs> And uh, well, they are. So I mean, it's good to know we are still balancing that load, and having a huge whomping CPU is still going to be as valid a, as a decision as as the GPU. And we're not we're not sort of. Uh, my thought was we're getting into this brave new world where the computer can be this sort of small little shriveled small brown stain, and the GPU is this massive stonking thing that does everything, and the computer can just kick back and uh, have a uh, mint julep. But that's not the case, and that's an excellent. I think it's just a different two. You know, two, I mean. It, it would be daft, wouldn't it, if we if we only used one when we've got two, and they they they're, op, they're good at different things. Um, and the the if you're a clever engineer, you know how to make the most of what you've got. And I and I think that's why, yeah, it goes back to the very original point really about how the, the micro engine was fundamentally built to be future proof. That I think is the whole thing. It's like let's. How can we best use the technology as we, as it develops over time? And that was that was our answer to it. It's hard to max out a GPU in Premiere Pro. We're very optimized. We, you know, so to be honest, I would say for most people, if it's if it's Premiere Pro you're buying the machine for, 
I'm not sure it's worth upgrading your GPU. I'd sooner I'd sooner increase my cores. And actually, I know you want to talk about After Effects. Increasing core count will really help with After Effects. So okay. I would probably increase my cores and I don't know, stick with a three or maybe go up to the five. I'm yeah. not sure the seven's worth the money for Premiere. Okay. It is surprisingly not as bad as I thought, considering you're upgrading two GPUs to go to add, add a grand is not is not overly bad, considering oh, the fact that for most yeah. people, this is how you will make your money and get in the door and get out the door quicker. But uh, That's exactly, I, I couldn't agree more. And I actually think, you know, if you look at what you're getting in that box, the it's not an unreasonable amount of money to ask to pay. And if, like you say, if it's your business... If it's you know if it's if it's mission critical and it's your business, then you got to you got to look at these things seriously. So so core, but that's what I would say. Yeah, cores over G. That's always I guess been been the case for uh, AE over Premiere is it's more um, cores versus um, GPU because you've never quite had the CUDA, um, you know, the acceleration really so much. In yeah, well, there is the AE. rate. There's the ray tracer in in AE which uses CUDA. Uh, to be honest, the ray tracer isn't that widely used especially since the cinema 4d thing which i mean you know why would you why would you do that mm. um but yeah i don't know if you saw steve ford's blog about after effects asking the question to the community if we only worked on performance for the next 12 months would you be happy uh that was an, that was a very interesting post and a very interesting set of comments at the bottom um yeah i don't use after effects but a lot of my friends do and uh, they are all okay. screaming for um uh you know for a bit more real time ability to be able to um you know get more of what we've seen with mercury happening in in, in, yeah. in the ae land yeah no i mean of course the the, the difference is wild i mean oh sorry or wild but let's go vast the difference is mm. vast between what after effects is trying to do and what we're trying to do you know we go left to right and they go up up to down basically there's a really really simple way of looking at it. that's how i explain it to my missus anyway um and what you know, they are literally creating frames on the fly every moment, and 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 it's a very different way of. Uh, it's a very it's a fundamentally different thing that they're doing. Um, they constantly are you know trying to make performance better, and the global performance cache made a big difference to most users. But check that blog post out and see what you think. I mean, it's interesting. I I won't comment for that team. Okay. But they clearly understand that that's probably the primary concern, and you know. When you're in the market position that After Effects is in, which is enviable, let's be honest, they're you know they're basically like I mean it's theirs, right? Mm. It you you I think it's easier. It's not the right word. I think it's more feasible to say, hey, we are going to do only performance improvements for the next twelve months because they probably don't have these. You know, I will I will start using After Effects if you build me this feature type customers, and we still have a bunch of them. So. Mm. So anyway, we we well, there's a lot of people who a lot of long time AE users who feel very much stuck in time. So I think that's good that it sounds sure. like I, I I'm sure they'd like to know they're being listened to as well. Yes, they are. Check that blog post out. It's really interesting. Okay. Well, the next one is we'll jump to RAM and how important that is and how much uh, with I guess more of a Premiere Pro uh, thought uh, line, but with GPUs. Uh, and the process is doing a bit more of the heavy lifting um, and having so much sort of VRAM and all that sort of stuff, how, how much clout does the old, the old way of thinking of, of, of shoving as much RAM in there as possible count these days? I count a lot. Um, and I would, I, I mean, 
again, sorry, I feel like I'm sort of slightly sidestepping some of these questions, but when people ask me how much RAM they should put in, I always say as much as you can afford. Mm. It will, it makes a big difference. Um, you know, I think technically our minimum specs still say you can run it with four gigs. But, and again, you know, we were talking earlier on about how the industry's changed. My God, I remember when I first bought my, my, my RAM upgrade for my G4 and I bought a, an eight megabytes of RAM. It's like, what the hell happened? I, where, what, you know, anyway. Um, it, it does make a really big difference. You don't don't try and run Premiere Pro with four gigs. As soon as you start doing things like Dynamic Link, which is very RAM um, uh, intensive, uh, you you must have eight. Um, I wouldn't. I on a professional system, I think if you have less than thirty two, you're probably a bit silly. Yeah, and again, um, the prices of doing prices for entry don't seem to be as bad as as the absolute Mac Apple gouging of RAM of, of the past to go from twelve gig to sixty four gig is about thirteen hundred dollars. So that's certainly not too bad. Certainly back in the old in the old days. Yeah, that's not too bad. Remember, like you dream, do have to dream, dream, right? Land. Yeah. No. Sorry. I'm. I'm sorry. Uh, yes. No. It's really not too bad. Just. Uh, so yeah. I mean, unfortunately, that's my best answer. Is put as much as you can in. I, I, we, we see a lot of people out there with 64. 64 seems to be a really nice, healthy number. Um, so that's probably what I would suggest. Yeah, cool. I mean, if you're cutting, if you're cutting DV on one track, <laughs> sure. don't worry Get about an iPad. it. <laughs> but yeah, exactly. But uh, I think if you, if, if you are expecting high performance, then it's, it's worth that extra money at the beginning, I'm sure. Okay, so let's move moving to the future. I guess we've already talked about the future, but um, what can people expect? Do you think, or what would, what do you think is the current? Okay, actually, I'm going to catch that a different way. Premiere has been a lot of people's answers, a lot of people's prayers that that FCPX didn't answer really mm-hmm. a lot of higher end professionals. Mm-hmm. But what do you think that they got right that you? This is really, you know, you might get in trouble. I don't know. If you want to be really honest, what do we think that FCPX has got right that we'd love to see, that that your users or you yourself would like to see in Premiere Pro? I mean, there's a lot of UI beauty there and there's a lot of um, interesting hardcore, a lot of online finishing effects and very much integrated and stuff that I like, but uh, it doesn't work for me. But but what can you see stuff there that they're doing that um, uh, we'd like to, that perhaps would love to be integrated somehow in the future of, of PP? Uh, that's a really difficult question for me to answer in, in, in the public domain, as you know, and I can, I can practically see your wry smile thinking, how the hell is he going to answer that? So thanks, man. Um, yeah, I mean, I look, if, if, I ever, if I ever said about any competing product that they didn't have things that I thought were really cool and I wish we had or, or similar, I'd be, I'd be a damn fool. Um, and I know the same is true of, of those guys with us. Um, it's, it's a, it's a, you know, it's fun and stressful competing in such a small industry. The number of times I'm at the same event as Steve Bays these days is just getting ridiculous. It's like, hi, Steve, how you doing? Yeah, fine. It's, it's, it's quite, it's quite hilarious, really. I'll tell you that I think the, well, regardless of competition, then where do you want to head? I can kind of ask the question. I think one of the things that is going to be more and more and more and more important as we go, uh, you know, 
forward in the in the in, in the in the coming few years is what I would term the discoverability of media. And I think the simple way to frame that is to say that the you know it used to be that we'd the shooting ratios used to be quite low, um, and it was easy to find what you wanted and 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 find an appropriate piece of media for the thing you're trying to do. The more media we have, the less easy it is to find something useful or find something that you want, and the less discoverable it is. You most people don't have time to go and play through every single thing that they might use, right? So, I think the content intelligence side of what they do is interesting. I've always found content intelligence interesting. I won't comment on how well I think they've done it, but I think that as a as a theme for anyone making products that deal with the you know massively increased quantity of media that's created, I think you will see. I, I think I think media discoverability and you know metadata around that media I think is very important. That's all I'll say about Final Cut because I've, I've got to be cautious. But I, you know, I I, li- I did like some of the ideas they had about that. Yeah. Where do I see us going? <laughs> it's a very difficult question to answer as well. I mean, I, I we we've never we've never been as serious about this product as we are now, and we don't intend to slow down. I mean, we talked we joked earlier on about the rate of releases that there's the rate of releases isn't a measure of the rate of development right so the rate of development will only get faster we may not put 72 releases out every year again but uh um that you know i i have a huge list of things that i want us to do with the product um i think we i you know we I, i can't tell you about specific things but we have we're out there we're listening we have a huge database of feature requests which we listen to a great deal but like I said at the beginning what I'm really trying to do more and more is ask the question what problems do you have yeah. what slows you down what 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 you know and 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 to go to all the brilliant pulsating brains that I get to work with every day and say look how can we solve this problem in a in a unique or in the right way right it doesn't have to be unique we have to solve it in the right way um so I think if you know you're going to see some pretty damn awesome stuff this year. I'll, I'll just leave it at that. We're very excited. Excellent. How about that for a sidestep? <laughs> <laughs> that was good. That's very, very good. Very good. I'm sorry to put you on the spot. But that's, that's, no, no, that's, not that's at all. That's what I, you're here for. Um, no, that's fine. There are, there are just certain things I can't answer. I mean, if you, if you ask any Wall Street reporting company to tell you what they're doing in the future and everyone shudders. It's just, it's just the way of the world, unfortunately. Um, Hey. But I, you know, I'd like every user, every user that's listening to this, to know that, it, you know, it ain't going to slow down, and we have got some. Uh, if only you could see the stuff we're cooking. It's really exciting. Right, I've got your number. Okay, so <laughs> how how then do? And obviously, I don't want to open the floodgates here, but honestly, how do we, we want to keep this communication hope happening? How do people um, connect with you and your? Um, your brain's trust. How do they? How do? How do they best sort of get their, add their, add their, add their requests to your mountainous pile? I mean, I think. Well, yeah, we don't want to flood your Twitter feed with. Oh, I want this functionality, but you know, I think as you say, you you people are keen to know that they can connect with you guys. Sure. So my preferred method is um, 
ink from a well um, on written on papyrus and sent to me by a carrier pigeon. That should filter uh, out some people. Good. That's it. that's the only way that you can give us feature requests from now on. Maybe. Or semaphore. We'll take semaphore feature. Uh, no. Okay. So I mean, we. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's, so there's a there's a there's a feature request page on our site that is by far the best place to do it. If there is no character limit, is anybody home? Is what? Is anybody <laughs> is anybody home there? Well, the, 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 we're very used to, to a certain Cupertino company that uh, you know is uh, well, completely uh, and... not at home to any request in any way. That's... Look, that's their policy, and I and I used to work for that company, and I'm pretty damn confident that they do read them. It's just that they've been, you know, that they're not they're not like us. They don't respond, and that's just the way they work. It's just a different way of doing things, and sure. I'm, you know, that's that's fair enough. But um, those feature requests go to my inbox. They go to Dave McGavern, our engineering manager's inbox, and we often hear people say how surprising they are that the product manager or the engineering manager responded directly to a feature request. But we do. We read them. We we that's so by far. That's the best way to do it. Sounds like it. We we do have a Facebook page. Excuse me. We do have a Facebook page. We all have Twitter accounts. I'm reasonably active on Twitter, as you know, and we have the Adobe Premiere account. Yep. I would urge people to not, and 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 I don't want to sound unpleasant or, but it is. I do find it difficult, and I'll never stop using Twitter. It's wonderful. I care a huge amount about being you know, involved with the, the very active editing community that there is that, that uses Twitter a great deal. But it, you are d- tweeting me directly with a technical support question or a feature request, it is... In 140 it characters. Happens, it happens multiple times every day. And to all of those people who've done it to me and I've not replied, I'm hugely sorry, but it is not the right way to do it. Um, you know, I, I, I respond to Twitter where I can and I, and I really enjoy it. Um, but, you know, it's, you can't possibly express it in 140 characters. So you wind up, if you try and do it, you wind up having these crazy conversations. Also, Twitter, for, I don't know why, but I, I'm sure you found this too. It's like people's, people's arsehole shield just seems to completely drop on Twitter. It's like, and I, I've never quite understood why. It's like people are just, they're just so unpleasant. <laughs> and so I would much rather we use Twitter for, you know, sensible exchanges um, if you if you if you really want to tweet me, I'll try and respond. But but in terms of feature requests, uh, definitely definitely use the site. And in terms of Twitter, I'll respond when I can. And uh, please be gentle with me because I'm very delicate, very delicate, delicate flower. Excellent. <laughs> well, we look forward to um, many years of uh, interacting, I guess, as a community, backwards and forwards. And I'm sure we'll all be uh, the better for it. And thank you so much for coming on and having a chat. Thanks, Al. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Been been a lot of fun. Thank you, Al, for chatting. Awesome. So, so what a what a lovely guy. What a what a chap. What an awesome bloke. Thank you. And he's so easily so easy to uh, to chat to, and so easy to get so easy to get him in front of the microphone. Thanks, mate. Much appreciated. So now we all know exactly what to do. Since we last spoke, Sundance has been on, and our good friend uh, Jason Diamond was at Sundance. But I don't know if you saw, but apparently Banksy was at Sundance as well. Did you see that? How did anyone know that he was there? Well, he stuck a, um, we think it's a Banksy. I mean, how would you know? Um, you know, one of his sort of uh, stencil uh, graffiti pieces up at Sundance that uh, we put in the show notes um, saying, film is incredibly democratic and accessible. It's probably the best option if you really want to change the world and not just, be- and not just redecorate it. I, um, 
I understand that's what he put up. I mean, I don't know he put it up because I don't know who Banksy is. <laughs> I wish I did. I also yeah, like that thing where Banksy was was uh, put a stall up. Did you see that? I think yeah, was, you know, yeah, yeah. Was selling them. Yeah, and someone wanted to literally buy almost the whole stall. Well, somebody bought one for thirty thirty dollars, right? It was worth like yeah, twenty five thousand. Yeah, awesome. If only you knew. Well, yeah, There's but gonna be a lot of Banksy insider trading going on. Like he's going to be, he's setting up a stall. Yes, yes. Well, you know, good on him. I, I mm. think it really points to the. Uh, I mean, art as a commodity is an incredibly, uh, you know, weird thing. Hey, when we were talking earlier about whether there was an anamorphic um, option with the dog shit lenses, I forgot to flag something that you found over on Kickstarter. Do you want to tell us about that? Oh, it's kind of silly. Well, I wish you'd tell me about it. My, I can't it was, help myself with 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 the. I wish you'd tell me about it before it had expired. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, a little anamorphic adapter for the iPhone, and that sounds kind of like dumb. And I thought, oh, this is a joke. And I still think it's a little bit of a little bit of toy fun thing. But uh, what the hell? I just it's like a hundred and twenty-five bucks. Is I must have I must have been drinking. Um, it wasn't too much. It wasn't too much, and it's coming out soon. I think it'll, you know, get it in a couple of months or so. Um, yeah, it's quite. I think it was partly the fact that it was built really well, and the guy who was involved in it uh, really had a, an eye for optics and really wanted to do it well, and was listening to feedback and, uh, you know, maybe starting looking to try and retain flares a little bit and things. But basically, it's a one point. Uh, I think it's one point five, one point three. Um, anamorphic adapter so basically yep. with the 16 by 9 sensor you're creating obviously 235 uh, uh, well, you know, actually 244 yeah 2.4 241 aspect ratio yeah. um, and obviously there will be um, they're working with app creators to try and uh, make it very easy to export this stuff so at the moment it's something that you have to do in post yourself but they are definitely working with, with some some um, app app app, app developers to make it easy to export stuff but it's a very beautifully made machined gorgeous it's a bit of glass actual it's not anamorphic uh, piece of glass yeah and yeah i thought the results were quite quite clever and quite interesting and i thought yeah give it a go so you can you can have a lend and have a play i'm sure i won't be using it very much but it was a very quirky cool little thing so that's uh by moondog labs and uh, so if you search for anamorphic adapter on iphone and kickstarter you'll You'll see it there and see the video. It's very interesting. So, so dear listener, we'll see it soon. Before we go on the air, we get uh, show notes. We swap with each other, uh, you know, points to talk about and stuff. And Jay said, "Oh, by the way, you should check out this Lightcraft thing." And I honestly say that I went and immediately spent <laughs> spent money and bought stuff. Do you want to tell us about the Lightcraft stuff? Oh uh, well, Lightcraft have been you know a good supporter of, of the show and, and supported me for a while and uh, made. Um, uh, I use a lot of variable NDs, and that's one of the things they make. Um, and I've been long talking to them about needing a slightly uh, more extended range uh, variable ND or trying to get some a heavier a heavier grade of ND. They do make a an ultra one, which is really heavy, like 12, 14 stops or so, but it starts heavy as well. So it's quite hard to create a range that, that starts quite light and then goes into heavy stops. Most uh, variable NDs are something like around two stops out to about eight, and some of them, when it gets to eight, are a little bit sort of you know stretching the friendship. Um, but they now have a um, a variable ND called the rapid uh, rapid rapid, rapid ND. ND. But I thought is... uh, my old uh, one started at three stops. I don't think I think it was oh, okay. more than two. Right, so this is two stops to ten stops, yeah, and it seems to be a reasonably uh, genuine ten stops. So and it's quite, and it's, compa- quite it's quite compact. 
Yep, very compact, nice and thin. I think part of the trick of pushing it out to those extra stops and not getting all the weird artifacts that you get is making with really quite thin glass. Um, you obviously do, once glass gets this thin, you have to be really careful about how you handle it and, you know, don't you sort of chuck it in the bag with no caps and things on it because these things can, you know, get um, get pushed around a little bit, so be careful. But um, uh, what was really nice of Lightcraft Workshop is they're offering 25% off everything in the store, I think, if you just use the FX Guide as a um, checkout code. Um, let us know if there's any problems with that. But did you use that code, Mike? Actually, I didn't, Jace. And the reason I didn't pick uh, use it is simply that uh, there was like a it was already a dramatically reduced price, and I sort of felt like I was, uh, you know, already at the edge of uh, sensible. Um, uh, I don't know; it'll still be valid by the time you guys listen to this. But um, the products were already, um, in fact, it's only twenty two hours left, so I doubt it. But they were already. Right. I'm sure the uh, discount code didn't have a uh, didn't have an expiry, as far as I'm concerned. So if you go to uh, Lycraft Lab, I'm sure I find the correct uh, the correct URL for that. Obviously, it's in the show notes. But uh, can you click on that, Mark? What is it? Uh, LCfilter.com. LCfilter.com. Okay, and uh, yeah, twenty five percent off if you use FX Guide. So that's really good. And I think they're, they're quite nice. They're a nice. They're a nice filter, and they've got that extended range, which is good, particularly here in the Australian sun. Sometimes you start to just really right max out the, um, the 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 love that Variable ND are going to give you. So if you use Variable NDs, I, I think these guys are good, they're almost as good as anything else out there, and quite affordable, and even more so. There you go. This is not a paid sponsorship by Lightcraft Workshop. No, in fact, yeah. in fact, it's costing yeah. me money, <laughs> but only because I really do like um, having a good quality variable ND, and and as you say, um, I like not having a big bulky one. Yeah, I mean, some uh, are really nice of... ones out there still. I mean, Tiffin make really good ones, and. Um, uh, and uh... Jace, we should also point out that the rapid NDs that we're talking about won't actually ship until March. So, uh, oh, okay. I think be, well, they have already shipped, but I think that might be a bit of again a bit of a back order. Okay, um, a bit of a back order deal. Um, yeah. So, one last quick little thing for on the way out there, Mike. We have a chat. Talk about the twenty-four hour uh, film. Clip? Have you had a look at it? Yeah, twenty-four I mean, hours I, of happy. I think it's. I mean, the, the project itself is not bad. I was. I was hoping for a one single twenty-four hour shot. That would have been very cool. But you know, I think they took the justifiably easy way out. Um, if anyone's seen the uh, Happy website for Farrell Will, Farrell Williams, uh, the Oscar-nominated song from uh, Despicable Me Too, I think. Uh, is um, it's apart from anything, I think it's quite an interesting project. Um, and it's got a pretty it's, cool user interface. Yeah, it's a very cool user interface. So it's they they say the world's first twenty four hour music video. Uh, I'm probably I just turned it on now, so I'm probably my Skype's going to go up the shitter. But uh, what it, it, interesting is they shot it anamorphically over. I think yeah, okay, and <laughs> pause. Um, shot it anamorphically. I think they were stuck on a forty or a fifty. I think the whole the whole time fifty mil anamorphic. Uh, steady. It's basically ten days of steady cam shooting, like two or three hundred um, people doing. It's it's uh, it's it's at least I think maybe one hundred and thirty one shot song uh, clips, one song clips, and stitched together really. And what's interesting with the the interface is really nice on the web, and it actually it 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 takes your home computer clock time as the time to. 
Um, obviously, it's shot from like you know for twenty four hours, so there's a little running clock of what time of day this was shot at. So, I mean, if you if you check in at four o'clock in the afternoon, say it'll show you what was being shot at four o'clock roughly in the afternoon, and uh, you know if you check in at other times, you can you can basically come back to the site at any time, and obviously you can jump around, but it's quite interesting to revisit it, and it'll it'll take you to complete. I've been there a few times, and you just you never see the same thing twice, and what. Apart from the fact that it's 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 a um, impressive um, test feats of strength for a Steadicam guy to <laughs> do ten days of uh, you know 130 single take clips, uh, often shot um, just literally on foot on Steadicam on foot and also uh, just on a rickshaw rig, which basically like being essentially like a pull, being pulled along on a on a rickshaw rather than being pushed and uh, it's. Yeah, it's very impressive, impressive uh, directing feat, really, and production feat and putting it all together, and it's all packaged up in a very clever web interface. I think what's also brilliantly done is that everybody in this, everybody is so engaging because everyone there is, has to sustain a single take uh, and be watchable for an entire song length. And there are some fantastic customers. There's some really great, you know, really like you know, young kids, there's some characters in there, some brilliant, some brilliant, brilliant, you know, little performance pieces. And because there's not a lot going on, they're just literally walking and and and, and miming and singing and dancing to camera. It's it becomes very, it's very immersive and very you 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 know less becomes more. It's it's quite a, it's, it's very watchable. I just wish it had been one twenty four hour long take. <laughs> but I can't imagine the logistics of doing that. Someone will do it one day. Well, I think I think we should you know, look for someone to fund you into doing it. Yeah, I, uh, indeed. Yes, yes. quite knock, knock, knock this one off its perch. But there, nonetheless, it's impressive. I'm sure it cost an absolute mint to do it, and I'm sure it is also part of the, you know, pre-Oscar marketing um, spin. Yeah. But uh, more power to it. It's yeah, it's great, great creative process, and uh, yeah, a good product. So worth worth, worth a play there. Twenty four hours of happy dot com. Yes. Well. Uh, I guess what we should do is wrap the show up because I have to uh, get yes. a move on. But um, it's been good to connect up in the new year. And yeah. uh, got a lot of good responses to our Christmas uh, special with um, uh, Rob Legato talking about stuff, which um, I thought was uh, yes, really, was really interesting. Really great. A lot of people really, really love that episode. Actually, Thanks Rob Legato just uh, posted something in, or it was interviewed by The Hollywood Reporter uh, today, I think, where he was talking about the fact that um, because, you know, uh, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman died and the insurance mm. company is going to have to pay out on that, that uh, maybe actors will have to get scanned now at the beginning of productions so that yeah. if anything happens to them, you have a digital double uh, in the wings to <laughs> close out the insurance. Because, uh, I mean, the same thing happened, of course, on Fast mm. and Furious 7, unfortunately, in both cases. I mean, tragedies. But um, yes. yes, if you imagine having um, – uh, there's a lot of lot of films that have been, you know, gone into, um, the, you know, into post-production hell because of uh, you know, obviously, obviously, uh, sadly, unpreventable issues. You know, the only thing um, I'd say Gladiator that, and um, yeah. Dark Knight and all the rest. The only thing I'd say is I, I incredibly upset that we lost um, Philip Seymour Hoffman in terms mm. of, but I don't know that it's fair to say that's completely unpre- un- 
unpreventable. I, I just feel a little bit like you have to have some personal responsibility in this world. Maybe I'll get hate mail for saying this, but yeah, uh, I understand that it's a disease and I understand that an addict um, doesn't necessarily have a lot of choice, but there has to be some personal responsibility. And I just, I well, guess as a father a responsibility, myself... A lot of responsibility for all the people around him, though. You know, there's a yeah. lot of... Um, you don't just, you know, if you're an A-lister... You know anyone who's worked on a, 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 any any project with with people with with you know that sort of uh, with people who have certain needs, shall we say, um, the production uh, helps them out, shall we say. There's a lot of runners who have had to do um, a lot of well, but uh, you don't know that this uh, that, that is no the no. Case I'm here. not talking about this particular this particular case, but there is you know uh, with a lot of enablers stuff, always around enablers, people. Yes, yeah. and uh, you know. That, that that shit's got to shop stop. And obviously, you can't stop people doing what they're going to do. But I mean, uh, Variety's reporting that he had fifty bags of heroin in the house. I mean, this is like a, just uh, this is not uh, a one-off thing. Um, yeah. Anyway, great actor. Well, I'm very sad that he's gone. I'm particularly sad yeah. for his family. State but, and Maine. If you've not ever seen State and Maine, as I just love him in that. He's so lovely because he's played some pretty dark characters, but this one is just it's so sweet and such a. A lovely, lovely character in that. And, uh, yeah, one of my favorite films. All right. Well, that's it for this week. Okay. Jace, uh, where all. is your – do you want to give your website and uh, Twitter? Uh, wingrove.tv. I just redid my website, actually. It's really you? good. I'm really – yeah. And I got rid of – finally dumped iWeb, dumped that. Dumped. I dumped the uh, piece of software that Apple uh, left to, to wither and die many a year ago and couldn't put up with it any longer. So I've gone to uh, – WordPress actually is really simple now, and yeah, thanks to Nathan Roger for uh, helping me set that all up. But yeah, brilliant. I'm very happy. Wingrove.tv, and I am Wingrove on Twitter. Yes, and uh, your Vimeo account is also uh, definitely uh, worth checking out at Vimeo.com/slash/Wingrove. Yeah, a lot of, I guess, a lot of it's pretty much linked through to the uh, uh, the website Wingrove.tv. But yeah. You can go to Vimeo too if you like. And of course, I'm over at uh, FX Guide. It's been great uh, having you guys back with us. Uh, thanks so much. And uh, Jace, we will uh, catch up in a, maybe a few weeks' time when I get back from uh, California. Yeah, you're off to LA. I might be off to Europe somewhere. Prague so again, we'll, perhaps? Right, we'll catch up somewhere. Um, perhaps Kiev this time. Kiev? Hmm. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah, anyway, we'll see. There right. we go. Bring you back a T-shirt that says I went to Kiev and all they brought me back was this lousy T-shirt. Thanks so much for leaving with us, guys. <laughs> Talk to you next time. See ya. Cheers, guys. Thanks for listening. Send your questions or comments to rc at fxguide.com. Copyright 2011, FX Guide, LLC.